verse 10, we see the birth and the coming of Abram onto the scene. Now, I'm going to call him Abram, and sometimes I'm going to call him Abraham because he's the same, okay? And just because most of us call him Abraham, but right now in this passage, he's really Abram. So if I mess up, don't shoot me, okay? I'm just telling you ahead of time. I tried my best to call him Abram right now. But we're going to look at four great people now in the rest of the book of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. So four great events and four great people. And with that, you have a summary of the whole book of Genesis. And you should be able to go to Bill's, sit down with somebody, have breakfast, and tell them the story of the beginning of the book of Genesis by just thinking of those four things and those four people. But people are often used as a type in the Bible. There's different people, and they represent type. Let me just give you a few. Abraham is a type of the father. Isaac is a type of Christ. Joseph was a type of Christ. Adam was a type of Christ. Eve was a type of the church. Cain and Abel were carnal versus spiritual. Enoch, remember, he walked with God and he was no more. He was a picture of the Transition. So he was a picture of the rapture of the church. And when I say type, it means that it represents something that's coming. Lot was the type of a worldly believer, and Melchizedek was another type of Christ. Hagar and Sarah, who we're going to look at tonight, law versus grace. And Ishmael and Isaac, again, flesh versus spirit. So there's a lot in a name, and we'll see that as we look at a couple sets of names tonight. So chapter 11, all about the plans of men. Let's build a tower up into heaven. Let's reach up there. Let's, get, let's bring God down to us. And Pastor Brandon explained, explained that to us last week. But in chapter 12, everything turns, and now it's the plans of God. Look at the first couple verses of chapter 12, the call of Abram and the giving of what's called the promise. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And notice the difference because God now is in control and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and your name will be great and I will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and dishonor those who dishonor you and, or I will curse them and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So, so clearly God is now taking control. Last week we also saw that before this 12th chapter, the earth was cursed, and there was judgment. The garden was cursed, and there was weeds and thistles, and you're going to have to work hard. The earth was cursed, and there was a flood. There was a judgment. The earth was cursed. The tower was built. It was destroyed, and people were dispersed. But now it's blessing on top of blessing on top of blessing. And last week, um, the message was bless, and you were challenged to bless and to use that acronym as some events that you were supposed to do this week. You were supposed to build up someone. How'd you do? You were also supposed to listen to someone and don't always be quick to give advice back to them, but just to listen to them. You were to encourage someone. Remember that? How did you do on your encouragement this week? Did you lift somebody up? Did you encourage them and, and try to get them to do a better what they're doing? The, second, the first S was surprise. Did you surprise someone? I surprised someone this week, and I, I made her really, really happy. Mary and I are going to be away in a couple of weeks for our 40th anniversary. We're going to go away for a couple of, couple of things, okay? And so we were excited, and we were kind of wrestling with what to do, and I said, you know what? 
She actually said, well, we'll just go to the house and enjoy our house. Well, yeah, we have a beautiful house up here in the mountain. And uh, because we're living down the hill right now, we'll just go enjoy our house and enjoy the mountains and lakes. And I said, you know, we'll start doing chores and honey-do lists. And so that wasn't going to work. So I got sneaky and I called one of the ladies in the ladies group and I asked for some help on putting together a little plan. And, and that first part didn't work out. But then she called back and said, I got another idea. And so she gave me another idea and it was all working out. So we're driving along and my phone goes off and I can see it's a text message and, I, and it said area code 909 and I thought maybe it was somebody from the conference center and so I took the phone I gave it to Mary and said honey could you read this for me <laughs> so, I surpri- so I surprised her so I surprised her but that was one of the S's to surprise and the last S was to share to be hospitable to give of yourself to tell your story to someone so this passage chapter 12 verse 1 is called the promise. And throughout the whole Bible, it's called to and referred to as the promise. In Psalms 105, we read this. For he remembered his holy promise. And Abraham, his servant, he brought out his people with joy, his chosen ones with gladness. He gave them the lands of the Gentiles. The promise is mentioned all over the New Testament in Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Hebrews, Peter and James all talk about this promise. Now, when this promise was given to Abraham, he was 75 years old. Difficult belief, okay? You're going to be great. You're going to have a lot of kids. All these wonderful things are going to go to you. That might be something that's difficult to believe. I'm going to give you a very special land from the Euphrates down to Egypt. I'm going to make you a great nation Uh, I'm going to make your name great. And, of course, Abraham is the father of two great world religions. I'm going to be, be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Let me read you what one commentator had to say about this particular part of the blessing. This is from Barnhouse. When the Greeks overran Palestine and desecrated the altar in the Jewish temple, They were soon conquered by Rome. When Rome killed Paul and many others and destroyed Jerusalem under Titus, Rome soon fell. Spain was reduced to a fifth-rate nation after the Inquisition against the Jews. Poland fell after the pogroms. Do you know what pogroms are? Yeah, pogroms was a new word for me. I had to look it up. Pogroms is allowing a riot to accomplish a goal, especially genocide. It'd be like letting the people get all wound up and fighting and killing just Jews. And that's what happened in Poland and the Ukraine. And so right after that, Poland was taken over. (laughs) Hitler's Germany went down after its orgies of anti-Semitism, and Britain lost her empire when she broke her faith with Israel. Lots of proof from history of blessing and cursings due to nations and what they do with Israel. But there was one more part of the promise. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. In Galatians 3 we read, And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And because of this promise, the Gentiles, you and me, all of us, have been saved. 
In the rest of chapter 12, um, Abraham goes to Egypt. In, in chapter 13, Abraham and Lot separate because they, they got to be too big. Chapter 14, Abram rescues Lot, and that brings us to our passage to study tonight. Genesis chapter 15, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this promise. And we thank you for those difficult beliefs in our life that we struggle in just hanging on to your faithfulness and to your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis chapter 15, the first six verses. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? I continue childless, and heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look towards heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. It's a difficult belief that all of those things in the promise are going to be done through one person who's 75 years old. He says there in verse 1, I am your shield. Now, why would God want to say to Abraham, I'm your shield? He just got done beating up five kings in the previous chapter. You would think that he would feel pretty confident. But maybe he was afraid of a retaliation from those five kings coming against him. So the Lord says, Abraham, I'm your shield. For sure, security was based on family size. For, or in this time, the bigger your family, the, bigger you, the safer you were, and the bigger your kingdom was. And Abraham, again, is 75 at this time. Somewhere, well, he's somewhere between 75 and 85. But the Psalms and the Proverbs are particular in giving us references of a shield, of God being our shield. Let me read you just a couple. Psalm 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. Is that a song? Oh, yeah, I thought so. That's, we could sing that, I guess. <laughs> Psalms 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices, and with my song I will praise him. Psalms 144. My loving kindness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and the one to whom I take refuge. For us, haven't we claimed the Lord is our shield once or twice? Have you ever been in a difficult situation where you said, Lord, I need you to shield me. I need you to protect me. These people are coming against me. This event is starting to happen. I need protection. I need a shield. Haven't we found when we've made that cry, it's difficult sometimes to believe that he's our shield. Seems like the enemy's getting through the shield. Seems like the situation is getting through the shield. But we've all made that cry. So he tells him right off the bat also in that first, first verse, I'm also your reward. 
He just turned down the spoil. He, want, he fought those five kings, and the soldiers were to pick up all the spoil and bring it back with them. But he said, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to do that because the Lord is my provision, and I'm not going to take any of the spoil that I am entitled to as the victor king. The king of Sodom came out and even offered him lots of goods, and he says, no, I don't want them. I made a vow to God. I'm not dependent on the world system. I'm dependent upon the Lord. The Lord was his inheritance. The Lord was his reward. Listen to what Pastor Chuck had to say about this verse. And I, and I can hear him saying this to his congregation. Oh, that we would understand that the person who possesses the Lord possesses the resources that can never fade or be diminished. Can't you hear him saying that? I like that. I think I'll say it. Oh, that we would understand that the people or the persons who possess the Lord possess the resources that can never fade or be diminished. So true, but that is a very difficult belief at times. And that's why we all jump in and try to help God out. That's why we all stick our hands in when our kids are being disciplined by the Lord and they need to go without their car for a week because they haven't taken care of it, we run down and fix it for them. We need to sometimes just let's depend upon the Lord. He is our, is our substance. So in verses 2 to 4, Abram had a, a slight little discussion there. And God adds your very own son because he knew that he wasn't having children. He knew that something wasn't right. He said, no, Abram, it's your very own son. A difficult belief for him. His, offer, his offsprings would be numbered as the stars. He said, go out and look at the stars. Now, he knows the promise. He's met with Melchizedek, which many think was a type of Christ. So I wonder if Melchizedek, or the Lord speaking to Abraham, said, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. Somewhere along the line, there's going to be a King David, and then somewhere along the line, there's going to be a Mary, and somewhere along the line, there's going to be a Jesus. And all the world, all the Gentiles, everybody's going to be blessed through you. So now Abraham's out and he's looking at all these stars, counting them. Or is he wondering, which one is the morning star? Which one of those stars is Jesus? Which one of those stars is King David? I wonder how much of the story he knew. Wouldn't that be exciting to know if he, he was so busy trying to figure out the, the way this thing was going to unravel? So in verse 6, it says, And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. You know, this is one of the most clear expressions of the gospel in the whole Bible. And here it is right in the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. It's not a New Testament. It's not in the gospels. It's not in the letters. But it's right here in the book of Genesis. The truth of salvation through faith. One of the clearest expressions. First time that the word believe is used in the Bible. That should say something. The first time that the word believe is used the first time that righteousness is used in the Bible in the same sentence. It is the gospel in the Old Testament. It's quoted four times in the New Testament, and I want to read you one of those quotes from Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, starting with verse 1. What shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. 
For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. So right there, we see that the author of Romans is telling us that this is an important verse. This is important understanding for us to to have. And note that it was not believing in God. It's believing God. There are many people who believe there is a God, but they don't believe him. There's many people who, even the, uh, even the demons believe in, believe in God, they, are, they just tremble at him. So in, in verses 7 and 8, we see that Abraham found this to be a very difficult belief. He just couldn't figure it out. So verse 7, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, and he goes into this covenant. How am I to know that this is true? Have any of you ever asked God for a sign, for, <laughs> for a promise that he gave you? He said, I'm going to take care of this situation, and you say, prove it. I'm going to take care of this situation, and you say, could you, you know, give me a sign? Let, let that person that I haven't spoken to with for four years call me tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Give me a sign. That's what Abraham is doing here because it's a difficult belief. It's a difficult belief for him, just like sometimes belief for us is very, very difficult. So in verses 9 through 11 and 17 through 21, it talks about a covenant. So God's made this promise, and now he's going to make a covenant with Abraham. There were previous covenants made. One was made with Adam and one was made with Noah. But in those days, contracts were set up like this. They would take a heifer, is what he calls for, and some animals, and he would cut them in half, and they would lay them out on the ground, one half on this side and one half on that side. And then they would both parties would walk through the crack where the animals were, and they would recite the promise. They would recite the covenant. Frank, I'm going to take care of your house next week. I'm going to come down and paint it, and I'm going to come down and rake the pine needles up for you. And we'd be walking back and forth through these split carcasses, and that was meaning that this is like a blood oath. This is something that's really important. You know, uh, you're ready for that, huh? Okay. So, but, but see, you're not here walking, so it's like this. So the animal parts together, and they repeated the terms of the covenant. But in verse 17, you might note that only the smoking oven and the burning torch were seen going between them. Abraham wasn't mentioned, and that's because this is a unilateral covenant. This is God saying to Abraham, this is what I'm going to do, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I love that with certain people. Have you ever got somebody that you're kind of struggling with, you know, like, Sometimes a neighbor, or sometimes a child, or sometimes a sibling, or something like that. And you just go up to them and say, you know, Randy, I love you, and I'm going to pray for you, and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, because it's a unilateral covenant. You know, I just, I made, I just made a covenant that I'm going to pray for him, and there's nothing you can do about it. That is so true, and that's what God is doing here. He's made a unilateral covenant. In verse 18, where it says, the Lord made a covenant, literally in the Hebrew, that means the Lord cut a covenant, because this was, again, the style that was being done. But in the middle of this covenant process, as it's being explained here in the 15th chapter, the Lord spoke to Abram, and he added more to the promise. Well, wait a minute, it's already a difficult belief. So are you going to add more to this belief that I'm going to have to carry? Let's see what he added to it with verse 
13. Well, let's first pick it up with verse 12. <clears throat> Chapter 15, verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will sojourn in the land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. They will come out with great possessions. Already you said it's a special land you're going to give me. You're going to make me a great nation. You're going to make my name great. I'm going to be a blessing. You will bless those who bless me. All the families of the earth will be a blessing. And now our people are going to be kept, they're going to be kept captive and in bondage for 400 years. They're going to remain a nation after 400 years. They're still going to be a people. And they're going to come out of that with great possessions. They're going to come out almost like a mighty. Wow, this is a difficult belief that you're giving me, Lord, to, to handle this thing. So chapter 16 is actually proof that Abraham found this a difficult belief. The promise is given. It's been sealed by the covenant. Let's see what happens in chapter 16. You guys all know this story, but we'll just read the first part of it. Uh, Verse 1 through verse 6. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai, so that after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abraham, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, she conceived, And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me by you, (laughs) I gave my servant to her embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord's judge between you and me. But Abraham said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. Difficult belief for Abram. Now they're using natural understanding and natural means to try to help God out, trying to help God accomplish his purposes. It is never a good idea to help God do what only he can do. It's always a mistake. I've done it many times. How about you? Any of you have done that? There are times in my life where I just knew God was putting something out, and I went against his direction. I went against scripture. I went against wise counsel, because I knew that if I just did this, I would really help God out in the long run. And uh, it didn't work. But I've usually done that when I have a difficult belief. I'm having a difficult time believing that God is really going to take care of me. He's really going to help me out of this situation. So that's when I decide I'm going to help him out. So you know this story. Sarai knew the promise. They've waited 10 years. 
She probably thinks she's the problem, so let's help God out. But she offers the Egyptian servant to her husband. You know, guys and girls, that's an unnatural thing for a wife to do to her husband, is to say, here, take my mistress, take my servant, take her and be with her. That's just an unnatural thing. It also violates Genesis chapter 2, where the Lord says, leave your mother and father and cleave unto your wife. When the original marriage setup was made by God, it's a violation of that. So this is really a mess. So clearly this is a difficult belief for Abraham and Sarai. In verse 2 it says that Abraham listened to her voice. Now guys, this is a very, very difficult one for us. But I believe that our wives, those of you who are blessed with wives, your wife is your very best counselor. Okay? Amen. But the responsibility always remains with you. Okay? So even though you've listened to all this great counsel, and you're going to some days have to go against that counsel, that's okay because the responsibility um, relies with you. My wife's always been right, so we've, we've, <laughs> we've worked it out really good. I just go along with what she says. But... Listen to your wives. It's good counsel. In this case, Abraham should have manned up and said, no, the Lord said back in chapter 15, verse 4, that my son was going to inherit this promise. I'm going to, I'm going to stay faithful to God. Now, this giving of a servant to help God out in these situations or in, the, in, in, in raising the family, increasing the size of the family was a common thing. This was not an uncommon thing. This was not an immoral act based on that culture and that time. Uh, we see it in several places in the Bible. One you might remember is when Rachel gave Bilhah to Jacob when she was barren in Genesis chapter 30. Um, but this was clearly a lack of faith in this particular thing because of Abram. He could have and should have not done this but it was a difficult belief. He was having a hard time. So Hagar gloats, and, and Sarah gets upset, and they kick him out. And then in verse 7, we see the first mention of the angel of the Lord showing up. And this term is often used in the Old Testament. It's a term, and in this case, it's clearly a theophany, a physical manifestation of Jesus or of deity in the Old Testament. So chapter 16, verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offsprings so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant, and you will bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You, shall, you are a God seen, for she said truly, here I have found him who looks after me. Therefore the well is called Ber Lahatharai. It, it lies between Kadish and Bered. 
And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abraham called his name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abraham was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. And the promise is still not full. So in verses 8 to 16, Hagar is told she's going to bear a son. She's going to have a big family too. She's going to have a lot of offsprings. But a couple things that come out about this is he's going to be a, a wild donkey of a man. And his hand will be against everyone. And from Ishmael and the Arab people, they have been fighting with Israel for thousands of years. And that hasn't changed. We see it today. The conflict between Jubes and Arabs continues even to today. So this chapter ends with a timestamp. We now know that Abraham is 86, but still no natural heir to Abraham. Back in 15 verse 4, it says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. So let's see how this difficult belief continues. So now it's 13 years later. And God's going to change their name by adding just one letter. And the name change was, is interesting. The Lord appears in the 17th chapter to Abram, and he reaffirms the covenant that we made. We have a promise. You're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to be exceedingly fruitful. Kings are going to come from you. It's an everlasting covenant. It can't be broken. I'm going to give you this land. He repeats that part. He says, I'm going to give you all the land for an everlasting possession. So let's look at the first few verses of chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourns, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting covenant, and I will be their God. He hasn't had a son yet, and he's having this promise restated to him. But in the middle of this, he splits, he, he slips in the name change, and he's going to do the same thing for Sarai in, chapter, in verse 15. And all he uses is the letter H. And in the Hebrew, the letter H is the ha sound. Ha sound It's the breath sound. It's the same sound that um, you get from the word ruach, which means spirit or breath. And so by taking and adding an H to Abram, you get Abraham, and by putting an H on Sarai and dropping the I, you get Sarah. And so what he's done here is he's added the spirit to these two people. That's the covenant that he's done. That's the same word or the same sound that is in um, Genesis chapter 5, just before the flood, where it says, and it grieved God in his heart. The word grieved is actually, ah, and it ah, 
God in his heart that he ever made man would be a correct way to read that verse just before the flood. So that's what God did is he added the H to their names. So what's the big deal in names anyhow? I mentioned to you at the very beginning that there were types of people and their names meant something. Adam was a type of Christ. Eve was a type of the church. Enoch was a type of the transition. Um, Cain and Abel, good and, good and evil, or, or flesh and spirit. But let's look at the names here that are in these, in these two chapters. In, in verse 16, I mean, chapter 16, verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God of the seeing, God of the seen. That's El Roy, which you are the God who sees, the God who knows all. The well was named the well of the living one who sees. And so Hagar had this encounter with the angel of the Lord, and he told her what things were going to be. So she understood, you're the Lord, and you see, and you're telling me what's going to happen. And so you're the Lord of the seeing. So there's something in that name. And of course, he gave her instructions, and she went back, and she went with uh, Sarah, Sarai and, um, and followed the instructions. In chapter 17, verse 1, the name for God here, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am God Almighty. And the term used there in 17, verse 1 is El Shaddai. I am the God all-sufficient. I am the God who can keep promises. I am the God who can help you through the difficult beliefs that you have. I can help you through this situation because I am El Shaddai. And the word comes from uh, Shaddai, meaning God, and Shaddai is to shed or to pour out. I am the God who pours out blessings. And from the 12th chapter on, we're seeing that God is now pouring out blessings. And even though there will be some times where he judges the nation of Israel, he judges certain people along the way, overall, from here till the end of the book, it's all about the blessings of God and what he's doing. I am the God who pours out blessings, who gives them richly, abundantly, and continually is what is meant by that name. Literally, it's the mighty one of resources and sufficiency. So we need to call on El Shaddai from time to time, don't we? We need to call on somebody who can accomplish what he said. We need to have faith and we need to believe that. So now, we need to have a sign of the covenant. You remember when we had a a um, covenant with Noah. The floods went down, and he said, "I'm going to put my sign in the in the in the sky as a rainbow. And this is my covenant, the sign of the covenant between you and me. I won't ever destroy the earth again with flood." So now we have to have a covenant for the, a sign of the covenant that we have between us. And he institutes circumcision. So, like he cut the animals, now we're going to do some more cutting and take care of uh, this this thing that's going to happen. But in the middle of all this sign of the covenant and the thing on circumcision, which we're not going to go into detail on. He changes Sarai's name, okay? So, so let's look at verse, at verse uh, 15. Chapter uh, 17, verse 15. And God said to Abraham, his name has been changed, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah, shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. 
Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. Difficult belief for sure, right? Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to him, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Because he's 99 now, but he'll be a hundred when the baby's born. Shall Sarah, who is 99 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Going to give you a son by Sarah, for sure, a difficult belief. Abraham falls on his face and he laughs and says, right, I'll be a hundred. Abraham is having trouble believing the promise of God. It's difficult for him to believe. So he offers God's a solution, just like, just like um, Sarah and him tried to help with Hagar. That one didn't work. I've got another solution. Let's, let's really do Ishmael. Maybe you were wrong, God. That thing that we tried to help you out with, you said no to that. But maybe now that you can see Ishmael's 13 years old, he's a nice husky boy, maybe he is the one that we should be doing it. And the Lord says clearly, no, it's going to be an offspring of yours. God says, no, Sarah is going to give you a son, and his name will be Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him forever. And we know that this comes true because just a couple chapters uh, forth in chapter 21, verse uh, 5, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. So we know that this promise is going to be fulfilled. But back in verse 4, the Lord God Almighty, the sufficient one, tells Abraham, walk before him blameless. Let's look at that one more time. Chapter 17, verse 4. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of multiple nations. Uh, No, I'm sorry, it's in verse uh, 2, or verse verse 1. I am the Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Well, there's another difficult belief, you know. How in the world can I be blameless, God? I've already messed up in this promise thing. It's not working out. The word for blameless there in the Hebrew is the word be whole or be complete with a whole heart and do it completely. And I believe that that's what God wants from all of us. He wants us to follow him, to walk with him, to believe in his promises and in his words with our whole heart. Even the difficult beliefs, he wants us to believe. I don't see it. I don't know how this is going to work out. But I am going to believe. The New Testament confirms that these events are of value for us today. Value to encourage us when facing difficult beliefs. Continuing on in Romans chapter 4, verses 19 to 24, let me read you what Paul had to say. He speaking of Abraham, did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead 
since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. The words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for our sakes also. That is so important. It will be counted to us who believe. So in chapter 15, uh, verse 6, it says, And he believed the Lord, and it was counted to him in righteousness. But we've seen that this belief was difficult, and it doesn't sound like he really believed the Lord. He allowed his wife to influence him, and he did the thing with Hagar and brought in Ishmael. He even had the discussion with God and said, Now Ishmael's old, let's use him. But he still was righteous because he was going to see it through. We've all done that. Haven't we all made a mistake here or there along the way? But the Lord sees us righteous. We are righteous in his eyes. Even if we messed up this afternoon on the way to church, we're righteous in the Lord's eyes. It was counted to us. We believed and he counted as righteousness. In Hebrews chapter 6, we read this. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to be to the full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish, but you imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You read that to you again. Pretend that you're all Hebrew. This is a letter to Hebrews, so it's a letter to you. And I want you to kind of listen to it like it's personal, like it's to me. And we desire, whoever's writing it, that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. I want you to have hope until the end. I want you to believe until the end. No matter how difficult the belief is, I want you to hope and I want you to believe that you do not become sluggish. Well, that sounds good, God, but I just don't know. I just don't know that I'll ever make up with that. Man, I will never be able to forgive that person I might be able to forget it, but I'll never be able to forgive it. It's usually the other way around. I think I can forgive him, but I can't forget it. Well, if you're going to forgive, you need to forget, okay? And you need to stop bringing it up. That's what happens when we forgive. When we forgive, we let it go. The Lord doesn't bring up my sins to me. He doesn't come in every day and say, hey, remember this, this, and this, and this? But he's forgiven me. And so that's what this is talking about, that you don't become sluggish, but you imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is where studying the Bible and going through the Bible completely, helping us to understand the characters of the Bible, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Joseph. Can't wait till we get into the study of Joseph. What a great character for us to study. So much to learn through his life. The life of David, the life of the prophets, Daniel and studying his life. When we study those people of faith, when we look at Hebrews chapter 11 and just study those people that are listed there in the hall of faith for us, we... Uh, we'll realize that we need to hang in there so we can inherit the promises. So, my question for us is this. What difficult belief are you facing today? What difficult belief are you struggling with? God said this. God said he'll redeem this situation 
God said he'll take care of this person I love. God said he'll restore this relationship that's been broken for 10 years. God said this will get better, not worse. What difficult belief are we facing? We all have things in life, challenges, problems, relationships. And haven't we gone to God's word, looked for those promises in Psalms, looked for those stories, looked for those encouragements in the epistles to get that a promise of insurance that we have this hope that it's going to work out well? Haven't we all done that? But haven't we all, if we were honest, failed at it too? Haven't we given up? Haven't we even, like Abraham, talked back to God a few times? In these, two, in these three chapters, God talked back to God twice. He said, hey, let's do Ishmael. You know, he said, how's, it, how's that going to work? He, 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 he had that conversation with the Lord. We've all done that. So my encouragement to us is to continue in his word. For in it we will find reasons to believe even when it's difficult to believe.